your gun, get your gun, get your gun. Take it on the run, on the run, on the run. Hear them calling you and me. Welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture, and then when we've seen all of the nominees in a given year, we decide if the Oscar went to the right movie. I'm Susan Araslin. And from Hollywood, California, the land of cinema, I'm David Daw. And, and... That's... That's so unfair. <laughs> Yeah, you're just in New York, just, a I'm city New no York. one ever talks about or films. Um. <laughs> That's okay, touche. And this week, in our continuing adventure of watching the 29-30 nominees, we watched All Quiet on the Western Front, the winner yeah. for this year. This is a weird one because I think it's going to be another one where we kind of have to talk about what kind of critical evaluation we're doing. Because on the one hand, there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that this is the best movie that we have watched so far. And on the other hand, like, oh God, this was a slog. I think if I had really engaged with the Hollywood review of 1929 the whole way through, instead of just kind of checking out about halfway in... I would have had a tougher time with it, but like this one took me three sittings. The part where he kills the dude and is sitting there with the dude for like 30 minutes, I will admit I maybe skipped around in a little bit <gasps> because it's not sacre bleu. <laughs> because it's very, very good, but it is also maybe not the movie I needed this week. And also maybe not a movie I need any week because it is fucking brutal. Yeah, I would say that this is definitely not a great one to put on when you're homesick, which was your situation this yeah, week. Yeah, it's also like, I feel like not a great movie for people who are depressed or not a great movie for people who are worried about war, which I know no one is during the Trump administration, but, like, maybe future listeners might be looking out for those two things. Um, uh, that's called irony, folks. <laughs> so here's my feelings about it. Because I did watch it in one sitting. But I definitely watched it in one sitting that was, like, three hours long. And the movie mm -hmm. is only two hours and 15 minutes long. Because I, I had to take some breaks. Yeah. And, and I felt that... I felt that the movie deserved for me to watch it, unlike the Hollywood Review of 1929. Oh, yes, absolutely. Where I was like, I don't know what just happened in the last 10 minutes, and fuck it, I don't care. <laughs> I think the only reason I skipped through that one part of the movie is having read the book, I was like, oh, if they make this last as long as they've made everything else from the book last, I don't know if I need to sit in this for 20 minutes. This is, this is rough. I mean, it definitely wasn't that long. My general critique of the movie is that, how, do my, how am I going to say this? It somehow manages to, I think, show the horrors and the boredom and the pointlessness of war way better than movies that came afterward. Yes. I actually kind of want to clarify that I am saying we're going to be in this for 20 minutes not as a criticism, but, like, as a fact. 
there's the like very first like trench warfare sequence where they're all in the bunker and i'm like right oh i guess we're just counting on like there being enough like world war one veterans to like really get this across because it's just like it's not loud enough and there's no real way to explain the ptsd and then the scene just kept going and kept going and i was like Oh, this is how you explain the PTSD of shell shock. Like this is is just. I mean, it's not even post at that point. Like he just yes. straight up has shell shock. They're in the bunker. That's fair, but yeah, it's just. I feel like later movies would not dedicate. Does the nineteen seventy All Quiet on the Western Front get nominated for an Oscar? Because that'll be an interesting compare and contrast. I have no idea. I've also never read the book, so I was coming into this in a very like probably from a very different perspective. Like, I know the book exists, but until I started the movie, like, I actually had no idea that the book was a German book that everybody reads in translation in high school or middle school Mm -hmm. or whatever. Most people read it. I don't know why I didn't have to. You just, you skip some. It's weird. Yeah. I feel like it's the same way with, like, the big, like, five in Shakespeare. is like, I never read Lear. It never came up until I was an adult at any point in my educational life. <laughs> and I know other people who were like, Macbeth? What's this crazy bullshit? <laughs> I guess everybody has, like, the one or two that they don't read at their school or whatever. But so, I guess it was when they were in training, and it was like, oh, they're wearing, like, they're wearing their little German hats with the Kaiser points on the top where I was like oh this is just this movie is gonna be all Germans okay Uh, it's not gonna like switch to the other side at any point (laughs) there was some definite Brechtian shit that kept happening for me where they're using like very American slangy terms but they're the Germans yeah and I don't know if it took me out so much as it like it made it like a weird probably accidental universalism of like those boys were just like our boys i think that's an intentional thing with the script because the book itself actually fuck i don't know i was 13 the book itself could have a whole bunch of weird americanizations in the translation but i don't recall it doing that as much it's it's also one of those things where it's like i don't want to speak too much on the book versus the movie because it's been like almost 20 years since I read the book and I keep going like I don't think the butterfly thing at the end is actually in the book and then I'm like except maybe it is and I just skipped over it because like to me the gut punch of the ending of the book is the like mean fucking joke of the title and not so much that he dies um having now read the wikipedia article for the book I do feel like the butterfly ending without the telegram that says all quiet on the western front it's like but you didn't put the title in (laughs) yeah which kind of like spoiled the end for me well i mean i haven't even read the book so like i don't know why i'm so dedicated to it but i'm like oh that's such a fucking like early 20th century gut punch that is left out of the movie it's a real fucking twilight zone ending and it's like it's great as a twilight zone ending yeah yeah exactly i don't know i actually like i like the butterfly thing i think it is its own mean joke that i really like but i do think it's like a very different thing from the feel of the end of the book which is like so nihilist in this completely other way i mean it's an american film 
like, we don't really do nihilism the way the Germans do. No. When we do nihilism, it's like the fucking Joker in Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. Like, it has to be totally chaotic, murderous anarchism for us to do nihilism. Yeah. It's not gentle. German nihilism can be really gentle, and it's just like, life has no meaning. Yeah. But we still live it anyway, so... Like, the other thing that feels way more aggressively nihilistic in this book, or in the film, than it felt in the book, is the part where he goes back to civilian life, and like... Not only do people not understand what he went through, they actively, aggressively don't understand what he went through. Like, tell him straight up he doesn't understand the war because he was in it. Like, specifically because he was in it. Whereas, like, they've been following maps. Yeah, and, like, it's less alienation and more, like, fuck these people. These people are fucking (laughs) awful. Which is a very movie thing god okay so here's another thought i have besides like honestly if you feel like you can do it watch this movie it's a good movie and i don't feel like i don't know how much plot like synopsis there is to do besides like guys world war one sucked it sucked for everybody everybody died everybody died fucking unnecessarily everybody died with absolutely none of the glory that people from previous wars expected there to be because like that was a fucking form of, like, raising status. Was You just went to war, and some people died, but it was probably going to be fine, and maybe you got to be sergeant or something. And then you got to open a bakery, and that was pretty great. And, like, none of that in World War One. And that was not World War One. <laughs> what this movie actually put into very stark relief for me was, I don't know what the actual numbers are, but I feel like at least every two years, there's one movie that is set in World War II. Yeah. Because World War II is the perfect plot device because there's the really obvious bad guys doing really horrible things. And then there's like the really obvious good guys and you've got FDR and Stalin and Churchill who are all these, and Hitler who are all larger than life characters. World War II is a fucking comic book setting Compared to World War One, Unless you're going to do, like, a straight Holocaust thing and then it's, like, horrible. Right, but, like, there are much clearer divisions between things. Like, the craziest thing about World War One is that, like, the process of declaring war was so bureaucratic that to this day we don't really have a clear picture of who declared war and why. Like, there are a couple of countries right. that can argue that, like... No, 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 it was, it was them. Like, it wasn't us. Leave us alone. Like, Germany can genuinely go, like, it was really Russia. Leave us out of it. And Russia's like, the fuck are you talking about? 100% it was on you, dude. <laughs> and, and, like, nothing happened except that tons of people died. Like, there was nothing gained. The world wasn't made safe for democracy. Like, or whatever you want to say. Yeah, the borders were, like, really boringly rewritten in this... It would just be more trouble to set them back up the way they were instead of where the fronts ended up kind of a way. The other thing that that really put into stark relief for me is how much movies about World War II are kind of pro-war. Like, movies about Vietnam are usually, like, anti-the Vietnam War, but they're not necessarily, like, overtly anti-war. 
And I think any movie that depicts World War One in an accurate way, which this seems to do, I mean, there's just a lot of being in a trench and shit being gross and there's rats and like people get limbs and arms blown off and are hungry and it's just dirty and bad. Any movie that accurately depicts World War One is automatically an anti-war movie. Yeah, I was, I so two movies that I think are like, deeply influenced by this movie that I have been either watching or rewatching recently that I was like thinking of is like one is the new Wonder Woman where like resetting Wonder Woman coming to World War One rather than World War Two is fucking brilliant for the exact reasons that we were just talking about that like if the point of that movie which it is is that like hey war actually fucking sucks and they're like isn't such a thing as a justified war, the one with Nazis is probably not the one that you want to be using as your example, because people will naysay you. And fairly, I mean, if ever there was a justified war against a dude who was trying to take over literally the entire world for one very specific group of people he decided were white, and kill fucking everybody else. Yeah. Like, okay, you know, maybe sometimes war is the answer. Yeah, it's 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 the war it's the hardest to be a pacifist about. Other one that I th- was thinking of is like, oh man, nobody talks enough about this movie and Verhoeven Starship Troopers. Go on. Especially <laughs> in all of the parts that are dealing with, like, German civilians. Like, the opening fucking sequence with the teacher is... I feel like I could, like, put it on beat for beat with that first scene where the teacher who eventually becomes their sergeant is talking about citizenship in Verhoeven Starship Troopers. Except the mean joke of Starship Troopers is... You don't get until two-thirds of the way into the movie that it's an anti-war movie. This is something we will never actually be able to talk about on the podcast because it was yeah. justifiably never nominated for an, for an Oscar. Really underrated satire, that movie. This is almost an aside that I want to be like, edit out of this thing because it's of interest to no one but you and me. But my dad's a real <laughs> Paul Verhoeven fan. A real fucking- I love your dad. My my dad is a Verhoeven fan specifically for the shot where fucking Doogie Hauser comes in wearing a Nazi uniform and suddenly you're like, oh shit, are we the baddies in Starship Troopers? And the ending of- Total Recall. My dad really loves the ending of Total Recall. I'm not going to disagree with him, though. I mean, like, your dad's not wrong. Yeah. My dad also thinks it's hilarious that anybody thinks the ending of Total Recall is ambiguous. And not, like, 100% saying the whole movie was fake. I've never actually talked to anyone who felt that way. But I also haven't read any critical responses to Total Recall, because why would you... I feel like at the time there were a lot of people who were like, it could go either way. The same way there were with Blade Runner, where it's like, no, (laughs) no, there's not. Fun fact, I've never actually made it through Blade Runner. I fall asleep 30 minutes into it every fucking time. Oh good, we don't have to watch it. I don't have a very good recall of Act. Act 2 of Blade Runner is kind of shitty. Act 2 of Blade Runner is just kind of like... Unless you're there for the, like, matte paintings on L.A. buildings, in which case, just 
watch LA plays itself with the sound off, then act two of Blade Runner is boring. But like, just skip to act three because act three is when they fucking get to the Bradbury building. All of the famous lines show up. And I've, oh, and I've read the book, by the way. <laughs> and I still fall asleep 30 minutes in. Like, I know what I'm there for. And boom, out. Well, here's the thing is that, like, act two of the book, we keep skipping past this movie because, again, I don't know what to say except, like, this movie is good and I don't want to watch it again because it's so good at making me hate war. But, like, Blade Runner, like... The book's act two is significantly better than Blade Runner the movie's act two, because in Blade Runner the movie, it becomes about this weird grand conspiracy that's basically meaningless, instead of the act two of the book that is about, like, the weird minutia of life just sucking in this future, which is way more interesting which is actually really interesting yeah and like weirdly act three is where all the minutiae shows up and act one anyway whatever uh let's talk about the movie we're supposed to be talking yes about. right so back to all quiet on the western front so yeah there's a lot of stuff about this movie that i really really liked that i thought was executed brilliantly and that i thought absolutely stands the screen test of time and in many ways is like a way more progressive film than like any other war movie I've ever seen ever, except for maybe The Thin Red Line, which when we finally get to that, like, I'm gonna have a fucking field day on that podcast. But something that really just bugged me was the acting in this movie, except for cats. It was very, like, gee, Liz, we're all really naive boys. In a way where it was like, we, we get it, like, Boys go off to war and they and they have their lives destroyed. See, I was I, I was going to bring almost this exact thing up, but as a thing I liked about the film. Whoa! Specifically because I think I would have felt the exact same way you did had we not watched Wings before we watched mm. this. Had I not thought that all of the performances in this are like specifically like giving the exact performance of war movies of the era in a war movie where it's totally inappropriate to behave that way and it's like kind of bonkers i mean there's definitely again a a very brechtian thing that happens because of that of like you have this you know ah gee whiz we're all really cute boys and then like Two minutes later, there's a guy continuously screaming because he has shell shock to the point where they have to punch him until he's passed out so as not to give away their position. So there definitely is, like, that contrast is very effective. But at a certain point, they've been at war for a while. Like, can they drop it? I mean, yes. I Again, like, I think that, like, the most Brechtian thing about this movie is what a fucking slog it is. That it just, like, doesn't fucking stop. I feel like the reason why it's more progressive than later war movies is, like, not even about politics, it's about structure. That, like, later war movies just aren't gonna fucking sit in a scene and in a moment and in a, like, plot beat as long as this fucking movie does to make you go like, this is fucking agony. This is fucking awful. And there's almost no comic relief. Like, the comic relief doesn't come until 
75% of the way into the movie. And you've definitely earned it at that point. But I feel like a lot of war movies, it's constant, like, yeah, war is hell, but also, like, boys hanging out together, have fun, and find a way to make it okay. And it's like, even when they're trying to find a way to make it okay, it's not funny. It is totally hanging on to the precipice by your fingernails. I think that's an intentional choice, because, like, there's comic relief up through basic training Mm because there's the sequence where they like kidnap and beat their shitty drill instructor which is hilarious which is also totally totally ripped off in full metal jacket yes that is like exactly the same fucking thing that happens to vincent d'onofrio's character yeah in full metal jacket except that he's not their like drill sergeant which is weird (laughs) like how did they get away with that it's yeah but there is this really clear, like, there is no comic relief at the front whatsoever. And then there is comic relief, like, every other sequence in the movie of some kind. It's not, like, gut-bustingly hilarious or anything, but, like, it feels very intentional that, like, no, then they go to war and then it's not funny anymore. Like, nothing is funny anymore. Right. Like, you could play, you could play Cats Up as, like, the difference in knowledge is like a classic comic setup, right? Yeah, the older guy. Like, you could play that for laughs. And, like, they don't at all at any point for a single second. And weirdly, it made me like him and feel his death a lot more because it wasn't just like, oh, we lost the stereotypical funny guy. It was like, that guy was a real person. <laughs> He also was, for me, kind of the only real person in the movie. And I didn't even realize Paul was really supposed to be, like, the main character until the end. The movie doesn't do a particularly good job of making it clear Paul is the main character. And actually kind of, like, that is one of the big differences between the book and the movie that I am willing to, like, just state, even though it's been 20 years, is, like, it is way more about Paul in the book. You are, like, in his head more. Like, one of the, like, weirdly tragic things in the book is how much, like, people just disappear. Like, after a while, Paul stops caring that other people die because you only have so much energy to exert toward your friends dying. And, like, the first couple of deaths are real bad, but eventually he just kind of, like, stops mentioning some characters and you just kind of assume like ow um and in the movie it is much more of a like no you feel every death because every one of them is your buddies cuz they're all an actor whose face you remember yeah. and it's only from the fact that Paul is still alive at the end that you figure out oh Paul is the main one right it's just that like we watch everybody else die or even like after they go on leave and come back to the front it's like where is so and so and then they talk about like the reason that they're not there another thing that was really cool that they didn't play for laughs was when it's the guy who was their drill instructor who goes like who totally loses his mind and ends up in the hospital yeah i think so the like guy who went crazy is totally the classic like let's play that up for laughs and how sinister he is because he's like oh yeah, everybody goes into that room and they never come back. If they take your clothes, like, you're going, you're going to die. Ha 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 Is not funny for the audience at all. Yeah. 
again, like, I didn't like this movie. It was the best movie we've seen. It's one of those things where it's like, I can't go like, yeah, maybe some, maybe some laughs in there. Maybe a sequence where all the taxi drivers in Paris just drive around in a big <laughs> circle. That seems like it would make a bet. Like, no, this is, this is the film it should be. And it's a good film. And it is not enjoyable to watch this film at all. No, it's definitely not enjoyable to watch. There are some parts of it that I think are enjoyable. It's Let's go through the parts that are enjoyable. Okay. For me, I would say like the first one that I, and it's not, again, not played for comic relief, but I thought was really smart and was something I haven't seen in movies before, was the part where they come back from being at the front to whatever their camp is, and the guy who's cooked for everybody has cooked enough food for 150 people, but only 80 yep. survived and came back. And he's like, well, I can't serve you food because it's the wrong amount for 80 people. And like their sergeant or I don't, I don't know army ranks, but the guy who's above everybody comes in and is like, no, just give the food out to everybody. Like you just, just do it. And the idea that like bureaucracy and the expectation of war is so completely different from the reality that this guy is like, no, I can't feed 80 people with food for 150. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And like, I, I also like that as a like decompression out of the front back into this slow realization that like nobody fucking gets it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. For me, it was like individual shots. It was like filmmaking things that I enjoyed in this. Like I really loved the like opening sequence in a way that played almost like a parody of the like opening of the war sequences of Seventh Heaven. Two working class guys talking about like getting called up to the front and they're in the reserves and it's all great. And then there's the crowd shot that goes into like it almost felt like until you went into the window of the classroom that it was the same crowd scene of war starting from Seventh Heaven. <laughs> yeah, they really flipped that whole thing on its head, too. Yeah. The, like, there's a war on! Yeah, we're all going to the front! And it's like, ha, it's like, it's fucking terrible! Yeah. There are a lot of, like, cast of thousands shots of this that I'm just technically impressed with. The very first, like, assault on the line sequence has a couple of shots that are like impressive for their scale and then mm, you kind yeah. of go into when it's actual fucking trench warfare it's just guys grappling with each other in a trench trying to stab each other with bayonets and you're like oh no this is horrible everything is horrible but there are some shots of like oh it's weird that they literally cast hundreds of people for this movie and it feels really different from even, like, a Saving Private Ryan. Oh, there's just all these people in this way where, like, the shot is wide enough that people seem small and unheroic and unremarkable and interchangeable, but also not, like, computer model interchangeable, just, like... Right. It's a different thing in a way that I feel like a douchebag talking about because I always hate the like, mm, models are important, computers are bad, like FX criticism. <laughs> I love that you pushed your glasses up, I, I, which no one can see on the no, podcast. No one can but see, but still. Um, but like, <laughs> yeah, I just, I hate that in general, but it does like, it feels different to see a hundred scrambling 
fucking failures of human beings trying to run in a straight line than it does watching a computer algorithm try and approximate that as best it can and like Matt painting a couple of copies of the 30 people that you got over and over again. Right. Like it's just different to see that and it's really interesting and it is like money spent in a way that money isn't spent anymore because the just logistics of it are like fuck it why would you bother these days yeah like you have to feed them and everything yeah no seriously like i loved it but also like if you didn't have to do that that's insane don't do that why would anyone do that if they didn't literally have to but when they literally have to, really interesting things came of it. Another part that I really liked and thought was enjoyable was shortly after the kitchen bit where they're sitting around and uh, I forget the character's name, but he's sort of the he's sort of the weird looking lanky guy who's like probably a little bit older than Paul, but not as old as cats. Mm-hmm. Again, from having read the book, I'm like, you really just need to know Paul and Katz's names. Everybody else just dies. Let's just go with it. It's the it's the guy that they like who's always talking about how he really wants like a big girl as like he's gonna he's gonna leave the war and he's gonna find himself like a big beautiful woman. Yes, I yes. I still don't know his name, but, but yes, that is the that is his one salient property. But you know that guy. Yes. So he really likes big girls. He has this monologue that's like Hey, what if we did the whole movie's point in a monologue? Which is like, why are we at war anyway? Oh, yeah. How does a war start? And it's like, well, one country offends another. This is straight from the book. This is the most, like, from the book part of the entire movie. Is the sequence about just the idea that just countries abstractly get angry at each other and that there is no actual person behind that stuff. And it is played as, like, a joke, except jokes don't exist anymore because we're in World War One, Right. And, and so it's just them talking about, like, what it feels like on the ground must have happened for this fucking shit show to be what happened. What's the only logical explanation that got us here? And it makes no sense. And then they all don't laugh. Um. <laughs> but the, but they're not like specifically miserable about it either or even angry it's just like a very philosophical conversation about like why how did we end up here where we're like risking our lives for you know like i don't i don't hate english guys i've never even seen one until i was shooting at them and i bet they've never even seen a german until until they saw me so that was something that i thought was really nice even if it was, like, very on the nose, it somehow was handled in a way where it didn't feel like it could have been handled very poorly. And it could have felt like, here's the part where we explain to you, jackass audience, what the point of this movie is, because otherwise you wouldn't get it. And oh, instead yeah. it just feels like, instead it feels like they don't get it. That's a tricky line to navigate. Yeah. I'm actually going to go ahead and say, like, I actually really like the butterfly sequence at the end. I get where the telegram is a better ending. I really like the telegram. It's a fucking mean joke. But I do, like, I like the butterfly as just this nihilist, like, no, nah, I can't let it go. Like, he wants there to be something beautiful in the world, and that's what kills him. 
because nothing can be beautiful in the world because everything fucking sucks because this movie is about how everything is horrible. It's also a connection to his family, though. And I think that's like, that was the part of it that was so dark for me that maintaining any affection and, and sentimentality for whoever is back home will fucking get you killed. Yes. I do think that there is a thing in the book where the book is much more clearly nihilist about nationalism and, like, very specific about the thing that it thinks is going to go on forever and be horrible, whereas the movie is, like, there is no escape from how fucking horrible this war is. There is not another thing for you to believe in. It's not that Germany betrayed its people. It's just like everything is fucking awful. Yeah. Yeah. And and like. And that's really dark. (laughs) It super duper is. Um, It's a well-made, really dark movie. Oh, oh, two cinematography things that I really enjoyed before we wrap up. One, when they're in the bar and they're looking at that poster of like, I don't know what the equivalent is for the USO, but for World War One Germany, but like they've had some kind of cute performer girl come to the bar where they're standing, but she's gone already. And they're having a conversation about her. And the whole thing is shot that the guys are in the mirror. Like the entire scene is shot through the mirror. I thought was really lovely. And the very, very end where they did the like superimposing two exposures of film where like one was all of the graves of all these boys who died in World War One, and then like the beginning where you see them like looking over their shoulder as they're first heading off to war. Why don't we do that anymore? Is it because we don't use film? Like, they really loved doing these, like, tricks with film that I kind of miss. I forget where I read it, but I read an interesting thing once about how, like, once that stopped being hard, people stopped doing it because it stopped having the same significance in terms of, like, oh, they spent the money to do that, to superimpose two frames on top of each other. Like, once it was just, like, set opacity to 50, put fucking two of them on top of each other, like, then then it's just a fucking cheap trick, and what's the point of it? And it became cheesy. Yeah, like, if I can do it in iMovie, who cares? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think this is where we should, like, get to uh, rating it, I guess. This is one of those things of, like, the screen test of time is different from, like, A.O. Scott reviewing things for the New York Times, but it's not, like completely did i like this movie or not right it's not like no i feel like whether or not we liked it is immaterial okay now the ones that we've hated were also bad yes like i've definitely seen movies i hated that were good we just really haven't like we haven't had any of those yet oh that's that's one more thing to talk about this is this is the birth of the oscar bait movie right like, this is the first... Oh, absolutely. Like, this is the first movie I've, I think we've watched where I'm like, this movie wanted to win a fucking Oscar. And it deserved it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I had the exact same feeling, like, throughout. That there kept being these scenes. Particularly the, like, why do, why do wars happen scene? Where I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is the, this is the Oscar yeah. bait. This is the, they, like, put the little cat in a belt and were like, Come here, Academy. Come here. Here, Academy, Academy, Academy. And there were several of those, though. When he's, like, 
at his school at the oh, end. Yeah. And his professor's like, tell the boys, like, how great war is. And he's like, it's terrible, don't go. I do have to say, like, though that sequence is, like, so satisfying, but is also, like, one of the few things I would knock the movie about. I don't know if you need to come back to that guy after the fucking first jingoistic nationalistic douchebag sequence with him. It's the fucking Punch Ali never gave Foreman. Like, you don't fucking need to go that far, my dude. You, like, you know that guy's still being a douchebag, like, recruiting another wave of kids who are just going to die in this fucking war. I would still say I'm going to give this movie an eight. Okay. I think we're still going to, like, I want to leave some room at the top, but this is absolutely the best movie we've seen. And, like, it's well made. Like, on every level, it's, like, very, very good, but not quite flawless. And I feel like that's a very good measure for an eight, is, like, there's not anything that you look at where you're like, oh, the pacing was bad. There's nothing bad in it. There are places where it just, like, didn't quite hit the mark. You know? Like, it did the trick, but the landing, like, it did the little step back, the little hop, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm tempted to give it slightly higher than an 8, just because I want to say, like, there is something to the way that this movie doesn't know how to be a good movie. The way that, like, I did that with quote fingers of, like, there's something to the fact that this movie doesn't know how to pace a movie the way that movies know in 2017 that I think makes it a better movie than it would be if it had that 2017 pacing. That, like, this movie could do things right that it does wrong and be a worse movie as a result of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because it would just be, like, any generic war movie. Yeah. Because it hits a lot of the same beats. And I I think what I both want to give it credit for and not rate it on, because, like, that's the rules for screen test of time, (laughs) is it invented the beats of the war movie. Yeah. Like, no question. Everybody gets excited about war, everybody goes to basic training, then war turns out to fucking suck, there's a lot of parts of it that are boring and bureaucratic, nobody gets it when you go home. They're all there. This movie gets a 1930-10. Yeah, absolutely. It's also in a weird place where, like, if we had started this project with All Quiet, I think I would be giving it a lower grade, because I wouldn't quite have a conception of, like, the environment in which war movies were being made before it was made. Yeah, like, comparing it to Wings, which is definitely sad and, and like, some people die, but Wings is so sweeping and romanticized and, like, completely lacking in realism. That was always my problem, like, with Wings. Like, even at the time, is like, what are these motherfuckers traumatized about? They get in a plane, got shot at (laughs) once, nobody died, and then they got awarded the Medal of Honor from three different fucking countries. Like, why do they need to drink (laughs) that shit off in Paris? What the fuck? Yeah, like, in that context, Jack and... Is it Jack? Yeah, Jack and Wings is a fucking asshole. He's He's just a drunk womanizer. He's not actually, like... Drinking to forget. Finally, now now we're on the same page about Jack. Finally. Uh, all quiet on the Western Front, bringing us together. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and give it an eight, but but with the same caveat, which is that like, had it been a movie that was more perfectly paced, that knew how to like 
had it been a movie that had seen itself and then 40 years later had made itself over, which is like kind of all of the war movies of the 70s. Yeah, the Patreon reward for us fucking doing for like for us eventually will be us watching the 1970 <laughs> All Quiet on the Western Front. So get ready for that three years from now. It wouldn't be as good if it knew how to hit the beats on the metronome. Again, I kind of now want to go into like a 10 minute sequence about the new Twin Peaks and how good it is specifically for this exact reason. Yeah, there is kind of something to like, no, this is messy and the messiness Mm. is the point on a certain level. I'm not sure that's as intentional as it is with fucking David Lynch where that's been the point of every goddamn thing he's ever made. Whereas with this, it just kind of seems like they wanted to make a war movie that got it like, this is chaotic and long and painful um, by being chaotic and long and painful structurally. Yeah, they nailed it. Yeah. (laughs) But I, I do think that there is something to like the, what is the name of that? Don't, kill the cat or what's the screenwriting book that's like literally do this on page 17 that everything is oh um yeah no i know what you're talking about something with a cat in it that level of structure and like god i'm a structure nerd i'm save the cat save the cat right (laughs) kill the cat is john wick everything else is save the cat (laughs) i am a structure nerd but i really feel like this is another example in a year of examples of like, no, that can be a straight jacket. And it is really interesting to watch a movie that doesn't know how to structure itself. That's still good. Oh, I totally agree. And I tend to rate higher than you, but like we're starting to have like a standard for what the numbers are. And a big part of why I'm going to give it an eight is because of some of the acting, just not being where I want it to be. Particularly with his mom and his sister, there was Oh, like, I loved how disconnected they were. Like, it's, it's like... Oh, there was so... It was so syrupy. I don't know if there were swelling violins in the background through all of those scenes. But, like, in my recall, there absolutely are. I feel like this is me giving the movie credit it didn't deserve, like, you coming up with a feminist reading of the, the love parade. But, like, yeah, I totally felt like that was intentional. Like, that whenever he wasn't on the front, this was a movie. And then when he was on the front, it stopped being a movie. Like, that's real life. Yeah. Like, everyone's kind of making pretend when you're not on the front in a way that I really, really liked. But, I again, I may be giving it way too much credit. And it may just be that, like, it doesn't have the, like, cinematic grammar to do anything else that it just hasn't figured out how to perform those scenes in any other way the acting in those scenes felt to me like they could have been in any other movie from this time yes whereas like everything else about this movie it feels totally different it feels like they found something that was really unique and wasn't quite as stagey as all of the other movies that we've seen yeah. While being somehow more stylized? Yeah, I, yes, I would agree with all of that. And I am talking myself into that not being an intentional effect the more I try to argue that it's an, atten- an intentional effect in my head. Yeah, no, it probably is just that, like, what are they going to do? Like, they don't, they don't have 50 years of performance history of, like, 
realism of war widows. <laughs> right. They don't have the performances to draw on and specifically not echo. Um, they're just echoing the performances that they know exist. Also, I just want to go ahead and shout out Conrad Nagel for once again gracing this screen. Mm -hmm. God bless you, Conrad Nagel, who I think we're watching again next week. Oh, you're kidding me. He's in the divorcee as well. He is in the divorcee. Oh my gosh. Is there anything he can't do? No. Oh wait, yeah, he's in the he's in the divorcee. He's not in this movie. I got confused. He is playing a guy named Paul in wait. next week's movie, but he was not in All Quiet on the Western Front. But wait, there's a guy who looks exactly like Conrad Nagel in this movie, which is what I thought you I were I totally thought that the guy who played Paul was Conrad Nagel. No, 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 no. Conrad Nagel is a handsome boy in a in very much an all quiet on the Western Front's anonymous group of boys way. Yeah, the blonde guy. He looks like the blonde guy who gets his foot shot off. That's who Conrad Nagel looks like. You? You know, Conrad Nagel deserved to be in this movie. It's a shame that he wasn't. I agree. Sorry, Conrad Nagel. You just never got to be in this one. So next mm -hmm. week's movie is The Divorcee, which... Honestly, like, if the great poster situation continues, it's going to be very bad. Yeah, it's going to be really, really bad. Yeah, we're doomed. Because this is a killer poster. Like, does she straight up have a weasel around her neck? And, like, a like a blanket? I think it's just a fur. <laughs> but it's a really weird outfit if that's just a... I think it's just, like, a fur, like, stole. And then... She... With, like, a gold velvet comforter pulled halfway up her body i mean I just... like one get the look like fucking that's amazing but like two yes i have questions about like the physics and the like material sciences and the like body <laughs> proportions of this woman right now hopefully the divorcee answers all of those questions for us and more I'm pretty psyched about it, if only because Norma Shear is in it. So join us next week when we figure out if great poster still equals bad movie. And until then, this was a movie. And a good one. Yeah. Oh, we're coming over, and we won't come